journeying through this Lenten season together and taking a look at the life of Jesus, following him into some pretty intense uh, moments and learning not only from what he taught and from what um, he experienced, but also we're learning from his resoluteness, from Jesus' determination to finish the mission that his father had given to him. And so it's been a great journey of, of following Jesus on his journey to the cross. And today uh, we're following that resoluteness all the way to the cross which will prepare us then for the full measure of celebration that we can have next week on Easter Sunday. And as we were talking about inviting uh, someone, I know we've spent a lot of time this last month or so praying for people who uh, maybe uh, God has placed in our path that don't have anywhere where they would go to church on Easter and maybe we could be a part of, of welcoming them on Easter. Maybe God will put somebody on your heart or mind today. But I really want you to think about this because there are so many people who Easter weekend, really even the Christmas and Easter church attenders, uh, even of those, there are a lot of Easter attenders who if they go once a year, it's pretty much just going to be on Easter. And so when you think about that and you think about how many people there are around you who might be wishing they had somewhere where they could go on Easter or feel like they wish there was somewhere they knew would be a 
a comfortable place for them or that they could go with somebody to a church on Easter because they don't usually attend church. And maybe God will give you an opportunity this week to open um, the doors of daybreak to them, to be the person who would welcome them to church. So I'm going to have you practice something a little bit here together. This is going to be your lead conversation line all week long. So, you know, socially you're looking for a lead line when you go to talk to people, you know, I'm going to give you something better than the weather, better than sports, better even than the final four who made the tournament. Okay, here's what, this is your lead line this week. Your lead line is, what are your plans for Easter? Let's practice it. Ready? See how easy that is? You use this all week long. Every person you come in contact with, I want you to ask them, what are your plans for Easter? You're going to hear about going to grandma's, aunt whoever's, where we eat. You're going to hear about all that stuff, and they might be glad to share it with you. But what you may also hear is, we were hoping to go to church somewhere on Easter, but we're not sure where we're going to go. Because you would be surprised how many people want to go to church somewhere on Easter, but don't have any idea where to go to church. So again, you got, that will then open the door for you to say, why don't you join me? I'd love to have you come along. And we have a great invitation in your program. Pastor Joel pointed it out. It's uh, what we're praying for, a sunny Easter <laughs> Sunday morning. Uh, but either way, whether it's uh, warm or not, we'll have the heat on in the tent. It's going to be an amazing morning. People are going to be baptized. They're going to hear uh, very clearly Um, what it means to surrender your life to to Christ and let him lead your life and forgive your sins, and they're going to experience God's love in a meaningful way. It's going to be a great Easter Sunday morning, and your line is, so what are your plans for Easter? Let's practice it one more time. Guys are so good at this. Imagine how many people uh, may end up at daybreak next Sunday because you ask one simple question. What are your plans for Easter? And you extend, open your heart, and uh, open the opportunity for them to have a place where they can come to church and experience Easter together. So I'm glad we have that down. Uh, There is an author, and his name's Philip Reinder, and he says this. He says, The spare and sober nature of Lent is healthy for the heart and true to the gospel because it scrubs away frothy spirituality by calling us to say no to ourselves in order to experience a greater yes in Jesus. I like that part. It scrubs away frothy spirituality in order for us to learn how to say no to ourselves and how to have a greater degree of saying yes to Jesus. And I hope that's been your experience throughout this Lent season. He says it helps to imprint the form of the cross in our lives, recognizing that the news of the risen Lord Jesus is not good without the way of the cross. And this is really important for us to get a hold of today because Easter wouldn't be significant without Good Friday. A resurrection wouldn't mean much unless there had been a death. And so as we are prepare our hearts for Easter, this is what we're going to kind of focus on today and this week. Uh, we're going to focus on the crucifixion and this final stage of Jesus' journey as we follow him to the cross. So this morning, um, uh, throughout this entire series, a lady from our congregation named Mary Lou has painted paintings that just kind of help give us a visual. And uh, the painting from Mary Lou this week is, it, if you don't know, they're right outside the doors um, in the lobby if you want to see it up close. But she uh, painted this beautiful picture of the crosses. And I'll, I'll take this opportunity to tell you that the projectors that we're using on Easter will become our new projectors in the worship center the week after. So we'll actually have high-def projectors in the worship center. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) So we won't have to always turn the lights out for you to be able to see what's on the screen. But if you want to see these paintings up a little more, uh, see them a little more closely, uh, you can take a look at it out in the lobby. But I just love um, 
to be able to stand, and, and this picture was in our office this week, and just to be able to take a few minutes, soak in the richness of the color of the painting and, and the depth of it as we think about the, Christ, uh, the, the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And that's really our, our place of, of focus today. And you know, there are a number of things that the gospel writers tell us uh, Jesus said from the cross. You're probably familiar with most of them. Jesus, looking out at the crowd, said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And at one point, he mentioned his thirst. To one of the criminals that was nailed beside him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his suffering was, as his suffering was coming to an end, he said, it is finished. But each of these phrases that Jesus said from the cross, they each have their own unique uh, uniqueness and significance. But today we're going to look at the last thing Jesus said before he dies. What were Jesus' final words uh, before he died? And there, um, today we're looking at them in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 46. So you can open up your outline if you haven't already and follow along. It says in Luke 23, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So in the middle of his greatest pain, in the middle of incredible suffering, as Jesus' life was coming to a close, Jesus cried out with all the strength, everything he could muster in him. He cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I want you to think about this. Even in his death, Jesus was telling his heavenly father something he had told his father over and over and over again something he had done throughout his life time after time. He was saying, even in this moment, God, even in this moment, I trust you. I give myself to you. I commit my spirit into your hands. And I want you this morning, as we walk through this passage of scripture today, I want you to think about what would it look like for us? What would it look like for you to follow Jesus' example that he sets for us in this moment? What does it look like for us to place our spirit into the hands of our Father in our toughest moments. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you open up your outline, the first blank in your outline is this. It's kind of a prayer. The outline itself is a prayer today. It says, Father, as I commit my spirit into your hands, I thank you for removing the barrier. I thank you for removing the barrier. Now, there's an interesting phrase in this text that doesn't make much sense without an understanding of of Jewish history. Here in Jesus' crucifixion story, we're told that there's a darkness that covers the land, and then there's a, uh, this mention of a curtain that is torn. And even though it's just a one, kind of a, just a quick mention in there, this is really important and very significant for us. So again, I want to look at Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and 45. It says this, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And you can underline this next part. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain was torn in two. Now, in a quick reading of this, you might even brush over it without, uh, it's, it's easy to overlook. It's just kind of one sentence or one phrase tagged on the end. But the temple curtain is an extremely important part of the story because it's, it's very important because it paints the picture of how humanity's relationship with God has changed because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. It is a clear illustration and picture of the nature of the way your relationship with God and my relationship with God is now different because of what Jesus has done for us. So here's a little biblical history, a little bit of background on the curtain that's mentioned. 
The Jewish temple in Jerusalem is about a 10-minute walk from where Jesus was crucified. And within that temple, uh, there's a place that was called the inner court, which was the court of the priests. And uh, the diagram that's up here, uh, you can see that there's the outer court. The circles represent the colonnades that would have surrounded the outer court of the temple. And so when people came to the temple, common folk like you and I would have been able to kind of go into the, the temple court there. And there, at times there would have been singing or, or uh, study of, of scripture. There would have been various things that happened, but also sacrifices would have been made, uh, sometimes bought and then made. Other times people would have brought their, their offerings or their sacrifices to the temple. That would have happened all in, in the outer court area. But then you see there's uh, an, an inner court, uh, and there would have been steps that led up to what is called the holy place. And so the priests would have ascended those stairs to enter the holy place where they would have offered incense uh, to God on what was called the altar of incense, which would have been uh, just inside the holy place. Uh, But one thing that kept the presence of God separated from people was something called the veil or the curtain. And you can see it's represented by kind of the squiggly line there. That would have been the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Um, even the priests weren't able to go into the Holy of Holies uh, except for the high priest once a year. So the Ark of the Covenant was actually inside of the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies represented the very presence, the very throne room of God. This would have been the place where God's presence was and that's why people weren't allowed to go in there. Most of you have seen this in Indiana Jones movies but I'm gonna try to clarify from scripture what this is actually all about (laughs) about this morning just so we, we have a really clear picture. Um, But the curtain was made of one piece of woven fabric, the veil, and it was made of of, uh, beautiful, bright blue, purple, and red yarn that were woven together with with images, uh, gold images of of angels that were also uh, woven into the curtain. And when it was time, once a year, for the high priest to enter, uh, which only the high priest was allowed to do, and it was only able to happen one time a year, they would actually tie a rope around his ankle because if he went in and he was, had not gone through all, all the proper uh, cleansing uh, rituals, and if he, his heart wasn't right uh, before God, he would fall dead, and they needed something to pull his body out of there with. So that's why they'd wrap, tie a rope around his ankle. And the high priest would make a, the atoning sacrifice for himself and for the sins of all of the people one time a year. And when he would enter, the other priests would, would raise the curtain just enough for him to enter and walk through, and then they would lower it down until he indicated he was ready to come back out, and they would do the same thing again. So at Jesus' crucifixion, in those final moments when it says that the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom, it displayed that through Jesus' atoning sacrifice, there's no longer a need for a curtain. When that curtain was torn, when the Bible mentions that, it says that it was it's basically symbolic of there's no longer a need for separation between you and I and, and between a holy God. So Jesus is now the great high priest, scripture tells us, and the barrier that previously separated us from God is not there anymore. And so now people are able to go directly to God, to come directly into the presence of God and ask for mercy and grace and forgiveness to help us in our time of need. It's not necessary anymore for that to be done through a priest. So in his death, Jesus removed the barrier that uh, had existed between God and people. And the writer of Hebrews says, this, says it this way. It's in your outline. In Hebrews 10, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. I love that part. You might want to underline that. By his death, Jesus opened a new 
and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You and I now have the opportunity, we're invited to come right into the presence of God. And Jesus provided us with that opportunity. I want you to think about this for a minute. If Jesus hadn't come and the veil hadn't been torn, if Jesus hadn't become the high priest, the sacrifice for all of us, if he hadn't made atonement for us so that we can be in the presence of God, when you came to church right now, you would be separated from the presence of God. You would have come bringing sacrifices and offerings to atone for your own sin. Once a year, the high priest would have gone in to represent all of us and you before God to try to make sacrifice and atonement for all of our sins. It would have been us still trying to be good enough, trying to earn our way, trying to, to live a life that, that honored God enough and make sacrifices in such a way that we could be worthy um, of God's love and be worthy of acceptance by God. For the people of Jesus' day, when this happened and the veil would have been torn in the temple, this would have been incredibly revolutionary. This is a whole new concept, a whole new way of relating to God that you and I take for granted, that they would have never, th- this would have been mind-blowing for them and anything they had ever experienced. And we as followers of Jesus, we, we recognize this and we celebrate it. And this is what we celebrate as we come up to Easter, this amazing opportunity that we have. Okay, now as I was reading about this this week, um, I've always understood the curtain, the veil being torn uh, to illustrate exactly what we just talked about, that this separation that once existed between us and the Holy God no longer exists because of Jesus. And that certainly is true. But I learned that there was another thing that the tearing of the curtain illustrate illustrated that I had never thought of before. In addition to now giving us all access to God in a way that we had been limited from before, this tearing also illustrates the father's grieving in the moment of his son's death. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, in Jewish culture, the tearing of clothing was often an expression of grief. And um, there are a number of Old Testament stories where you can see that happening, where there was extreme grief shown or, or a loss and, and it says clothing was rent or torn right down the middle as an expression, an, an exposure of my heart is exposed, my person is exposed, my, my grief is before you at this loss that I've experienced. But when a father received the news that his child was dead in that culture, one of the ways that he would display that grief was by ripping his clothing from top to bottom in his agony, in his pain, in his sadness, in his despair, He would express that grief by ripping his wardrobe, his clothing from the top to the bottom to display the great amount of pain he was experiencing. And I want to read this from one commentator that I read this week that really just hit me. said, we see in this part of the story that our heavenly father does not love less than a human father, but more. His love is deeper, infinite, without bounds, not hemmed in by human frailty and weakness, And how his heart must have grieved to see the racked and broken body of his son pinned to the cruel and cursed tree. And so as his son breathed his last and the heart of God God breaks, the divine robe, the curtain, is torn in two from the top to the bottom. How great and awful the death of the son of God, not only to the son, but to the father The tearing of the temple curtain was indeed an indication that the way into the Father's presence had been opened. But the rending of the garment of God also reminds us that the way to life came at a great price and through great anguish, an anguish that God himself endured. 
the eternal son died and the eternal father grieved. Even though they knew it was going to happen. Even though they knew it was part of the plan. Even though they knew the resurrection was just around the corner, three, just three days away, the son still experienced the brutality of the crucifixion and the father still grieved at the loss of his son. For both of them, it, it was grief that was laced with hope, but it was still a heavy, heavy burden of grief to bear. And if you're a parent here today, if you're a father or even a mother today, you understand that when your child experiences some kind of hurt or, or pain, sometimes you feel it just as intensely as they do, if, if not more intensely at times. And that was the part of the story that, w- that was a new perspective for me because I've always been so keenly aware and focused on the suffering of Jesus and all that Jesus did, his bleeding, his beating, his humiliation, his crucifixion, the weight of my sin on him, and rightfully so because Jesus went through so much for us. But his father went through it all as well. His clothing was torn. So as you and I come to the point of committing our spirit into God's hands, I think it's important that we learn how to thank him for the torn curtain and all that it represents. That we learn to thank him for the barrier that was removed that existed between God and us. And that we do so not only in recognition of what Jesus did for us in order to make all of that happen, but what the Father went through on our behalf as well. And I want to encourage you, you have such a great opportunity to do that this coming Friday in our Good Friday experience Uh, If you've never been before, this Friday from 1 to 7, uh, right over in our student building, we have this amazing experience set up for you. Uh, You can just stop in. Um, It takes about 30 minutes to walk through. But it gives you a chance to reflect on the events of Good Friday, on Jesus' suffering, to enter into the mysterious nature of the crucifixion that brought so much sorrow and, and pain to both the Father and the Son, and yet paved the way for this incredible victory that we get to celebrate on Easter Sunday. Don't miss it, because it's going to make your Easter so much more meaningful if you can fully experience the crucifixion on Good Friday. So come out this Good Friday and and, uh, just prepare your heart for Easter. I'd encourage you to do that. All right, so the first part of this this prayer um, that we talked about is us learning how to to say thanks to God uh, for removing the barrier. And the second part of this prayer is this, Father, as I commit my spirit into your hands, I will trust you, and I will entrust myself to you. I'll trust you, and I'll entrust myself to you. Luke 23, 46 says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So after the temple curtain was torn, Jesus offered one final statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I don't know if it happened. Actually, Luke records it one way and the other gospel writers kind of record it just the opposite, but it kind of happened all at one moment here. We'll just go with that. Uh, Whether Jesus uh, said those words, breathed his last, and right at that moment the temple uh, veil was torn or whether the temple veil was torn and then Jesus said those words, it kind of gets recorded both ways in scripture. But I'm thinking it all was kind of in one moment as Jesus was dying, um, as he was breathing his last He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Maybe you've known that those were the final words of Jesus, but did you know that those final words of Jesus were actually a prayer? They were a prayer that came from a psalm, Psalm 31, 
which tells us that Jesus was likely praying this prayer, um, praying this scripture as a prayer in his final moments on the cross. And I want to read, Psalm 31 is a great psalm. I want to read just the first five verses for you. They're in your outline. This uh, may have been the, the whole of the prayer that Jesus was praying through in his last moments. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. That last verse, Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. You know, this whole series has been about how we can follow Jesus on this journey to the cross. And Jesus, uh, like I mentioned earlier, even on the cross, Jesus modeled some significant things for us. I want you to think about what the statements that he made from the cross, what he was actually doing. First of all, from the cross, Jesus forgave his enemies. From the cross, he offered mercy to a thief. From the cross, he prayed for his mother. From the cross, he was honest about what he was feeling, that he was feeling abandonment from his father. From the cross, he expressed a physical need, that he was thirsty. And in a shout of triumph, he declared from the cross, it is finished. But then scripture tells us, just before he dies, he offers this beautiful prayer of trust to his father. And as he was breathing his last, Jesus was saying, I trust you. I trust you. And this is such a beautiful picture of Jesus' trust in the Father's love for him. Even when he felt abandoned, his confidence in the love of his Father for him. Now, in, G in Jewish tradition, these final words that Jesus prayed, into your hands I commit my spirit, was actually a prayer that Jewish children were taught by their mothers to pray before they went to sleep each night. So a lot of the Jewish prayers that they did that they would do ritually throughout the days were based on Old Testament scripture. This particular one was probably an early version of, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. This would have been a prayer that mothers, or a scripture passage that mothers would have recited in Jewish tradition with their children before they put them to bed at night. So think about this just for a minute with me. Think about Mary in this moment. Mary may have taught this prayer to Jesus when he was just a little boy, teaching him how to trust God every day, reminding him to put his trust in God's protective hands, that he could trust his Father God that way. They may have prayed this prayer every night before they went to sleep. Now I want you to fast forward about 30 years, and Mary is there standing at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, just before he dies, he offers this simple, childlike prayer to his heavenly father. And he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, I trust you and I entrust myself to you. I place myself in your hands and in your care. <laughs> Puts a whole different emphasis on the value of bedtime prayers with kids, doesn't it? Yeah, I can see Mary in that moment being taught by her son how to continue to trust God, even in the worst of times. So on the cross, here's Jesus again teaching his mother, teaching all of us how to pray, how to put our trust in our heavenly father who loves us. So what does it really look like for us to trust God? 
We've all heard that. We've sung songs about it. But reading through the whole of Psalm 31 does give us a few glimpses. It says when we're facing darkness and despair, when we're facing the valley of the shadow of death, when we're facing the unknown, what should we pray? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I trust you and I entrust myself to you. I place myself in your hands. But there's this huge difference between saying that we trust God and then actually placing ourselves or our circumstance into his hands, actually entrusting ourselves to him. And I want you to watch this video with me that illustrates the difference between trusting God or saying we trust God and entrusting ourselves to him. Let's watch together. Jean-Francois Gravelet, better known as Blondine, was a famous tightrope walker and acrobat. He's perhaps best known for his many crossings of the tightrope, 1,100 feet in length, suspended 160 feet above Niagara Falls in the USA. His act will be watched by large crowds and begin with a relatively simple crossing using a balancing pole. Then he would throw away the pole and amaze the onlookers. On one occasion, he crossed the tightrope on stilts. On another occasion, blindfolded. Another time, he stopped halfway to cook and eat an omelette. In 1860, a royal party from England came to watch Blondin perform. After his normal spectacular crossings, he then wheeled a wheelbarrow from one side to the other as the crowd cheered. Next, he put a sack of potatoes into the wheelbarrow and wheeled that across. The crowd cheered louder. Then he approached the royal party and asked the Duke of Newcastle, Do you believe that I could take a man across the tightrope in this wheelbarrow? Yes, I do, said the Duke. Ah, Robin, replied Blondin. The crowd fell silent. But the Duke of Newcastle would not accept Blondin's challenge. Is there anyone else here who believes I could do it? Asked Blondin. No one was willing to volunteer. Eventually, an old woman stepped out of the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. Blondin wheeled her all the way across and all the way back. The old woman was Blondin's mother, the only person willing to put her life in his hands. So how many, would have, how many of you would have gotten the wheelbarrow? Anybody? <laughs> you know, uh, sorry I didn't have any original footage on that. It was the 1860s, so... But that was uh, supposedly a true story. You know, the question is, are you willing to put your life in God's hands? Because there is a big difference between saying that we trust God and actually jumping into the wheelbarrow. And what I've found is that when I pray a prayer of recommitment to my trust in God, when I do like Jesus did on the cross, and when I say, God, I place my spirit into your hands, when I say that, that that trust leads me to a place of wanting to entrust myself to God. Not just saying that I trust him, but with a childlike faith, jumping into the wheelbarrow and saying, God, take me for a ride, entrusting myself fully to the Father who loves me because being in his hands is the best place that we can be. And you know, I've had a lot of experiences, uh, opportunities lately to practice this kind of, of praying and this kind of trust Uh, decisions for my wife and I about fostering and adopting kids and moving forward with those, Um, decisions uh, 
entrusting my kids to the Lord in other ways, entrusting my marriage to the Lord, finances, things like that. And you know and understand this because you all experience it in different ways, different circumstances, might be health situations that you have had to say, do I trust God or do I trust God with my person? We all experience it. We all have opportunities every day to entrust ourselves to the Lord. We all have the opportunity to pray, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I, entr- I trust you and I entrust myself to you. And I want to encourage you this morning, along with the statement, what are your plans for Easter? Okay, that's your one statement this week that you're asking people. I want to also encourage you to memorize this prayer and pray it throughout the week. Uh, pray it when you wake up and when you go to sleep. Pray it when you feel anxious or when you're facing uncertainty. I want to encourage you to join Jesus in this prayer each day. This prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust you and I entrust myself to you. And when this becomes our daily prayer and our reaffirmation of our trust in God, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be concerned. We don't have to have things overwhelm us. We don't have to have things weigh us down as heavily. Because Jesus ended his suffering on the cross by teaching us how to live each day, not in fear, but in the confidence and joy and hope we can have in the hands of God. Before we wrap up today, I want to give you an opportunity to just reflect on this scripture and allow God to speak to you personally about it. I'd like to give you a few minutes to meditate and reflect on Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. It's in your outline. And because we couldn't fit it all in one slide and make it read, readable, uh, Christian's going to scroll through it for you on the screen. Um, but here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to read through the first four verses a couple of times slowly. Just take a few minutes. You don't have to be in a rush. We're going to let some music play. You can read through those first four verses and just circle any theme or maybe any word or phrase that stands out to you and you say, That's my, that needs to be my prayer right now. That applies to my life. Maybe you even want to write in the margin of your outline specific things that relate to that thing that you underlined, very specific requests of God, very specific things that are on your mind right now. And I want you to take a few minutes and do that. Just look at that passage of scripture. Let God bring things to your mind. And then I want you to take a moment, and then I want you to pray verse five. So pray that very specific thing that God brings to your mind, and then pray the prayer of verse five that says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, my Lord, my faithful God, I trust you. I entrust myself to you, kind of as your act of entrusting yourself to God today. We're going to take a few moments to do this. Just take a few moments to meditate on the passage, identify something that resonates with where you are right now, and then entrust yourself to God. I want you to enjoy these next few sacred moments with your Father. Let's take a few moments and do that together.
like to end this time of reflection with this prayer. And if you like, you can pray it after I do quietly, maybe in your own heart. Just This is a prayer of abandonment. It's an old, ancient prayer of the church. I think it's very applicable today. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all and I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creation. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my Father, and I trust you. Amen. I have had unanswered prayers. I have trouble I wish wasn't there. And I have asked a thousand ways that you would take my pain away. You would take my pain away And I am trying to understand How to walk this weary land Make straight the paths that crooked lie Oh Lord, before these feet of mine Oh, Lord, before these feet of mine When my world is shaking Heaven stands When my heart is breaking I never leave your hands When you upon the earth You healed the broken, lost and hurt I know you hate to see me cry One day you will set all things right One day you will set all things right When my world is shaking Heaven stands When my heart is breaking I never leave your hands Your hands Your hands that shape the world Are holding me They hold me still Shape the world.
there are a few different ways that we can respond to what the Lord is saying to each of us today. The first uh, we do every week, and that's that if you have a prayer request, maybe something that came out of you looking at Psalm 31, something that you need to entrust to God, something that you'd like our church family to be praying for you or with you, you can simply write that on your response card, that prayer request, and we'll pray with you, pray for you this week. Also, we've spent this entire month uh, or longer in this series coming up to the boards in the front and writing out uh, the names, praying for the sake of others, writing the names, first names of other people that we want to pray for, writing prayer requests up there as well. If you would like to do that uh, in these next few moments, you can feel free to continue to do that anytime between now, the end of the service, after the service, you can come forward and, and write a prayer request or pray for someone through doing that. You're welcome to do that as well. If you would like somebody to pray with you today, uh, our prayer partners are available. You can head out anytime between now and the end of the service down to the prayer room. They'll listen and pray for you today. But as we prepare for Easter this week and we take some time this week to observe both the crucifixion on Good Friday and, and then celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, I want to encourage you as you respond to God today to listen to what he's asking you to jump into the wheelbarrow about in your life. Whatever thing the Lord might be speaking to you and saying, entrust yourself to me. If he's spoken to you about that thing, take these next few moments and allow God to seal that in your heart. Seal it with him. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to entrust myself to you, Lord. And I'm going to go along for the ride. I'm going to jump in and go along for the ride. Let's just take these next couple moments to, to respond to God. And then we'll wrap up the service with a worship song.